Um, okay. I, I do have an apology to make. You took so long getting ready. My coffee's gone too, by the way. I poured coffee just for this episode and you took so long that oh, my coffee cool. is gone. I mean, I told you that I had to get ready and then you decided right now, even though I was still getting ready. <laughs> You're listening to Deeper Magic. This is the Deeper Magic Podcast. I'm Anna Kapsner, and this is my father, Peter Kapsner. Say hi, Peter Kapsner. Hi, Peter Kapsner. There I'm it here. is. Yep. Um, they actually, there's a podcast that I listen to where every time the DM starts it, he always goes, say hi, Intrepid Heroes, and they all go, hi, Intrepid Heroes, <laughs> and he's like, I hate you all. So I love, the, I love that you did that right away. I mean, it was such an obvious, uh, like, yeah. you know, joke, right? I feel like it's a base human instinct. It is. It is, for sure. It is. Totally. Yeah, you get it everywhere. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, before maybe we you lead us into it, um, okay. I, I do have an apology to make. Uh, to you. Just one? <laughs> I have one specific one for today that okay. is most relevant. And that is from our last episode. Uh, as you know, and as right. many people now know, I uh, considered you to be an abysmal failure. Not for the first time. Right. No, I know. And, but specifically related to your lack of desire to go to church right. um, with me as a really important church figure. Very important. Well, when people began to give us feedback about that first episode of the podcast, all I heard was, Anna's so articulate, Anna's so this, <laughs> Anna's so intelligent, Anna's so friendly, blah, 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 blah. It, I mean, like literally, like now I- Which, I, by the way, I'm so glad that all of those responses went to you and not me. Oh, it was Because I got maddening. like the first of one of those responses today and I was like, that's so sweet and I love that so much and I love hearing that this was important to you. And also, I just simply do not know how to respond. Yeah, I know. When people are like, oh, you're so... I was like, I... Uh. Compliments are so I'm hard to take, aren't they? Like, I, I find compliments yeah. really hard to take. I One of my friends gave the example at one point that I've never stopped thinking about, where it's trying to give me a compliment is like trying to put a wrinkly dollar bill in a vending machine. <laughs> just spits right back. It's just out like again. no. It totally. Does. If you can get That's it in there at example. all, it just spits it right back. It really out. does. That's but well, people were definitely um, like I said, all of this stuff. I, I just wanted to put a fork in my eyeball after a while. Just related to, <laughs> but so so I need to apologize for calling you an abysmal failure. It's not easy. It's like Arthur Fonzarelli from Happy Days, which mm, I know you yes. don't know the reference. It's way way before. It's it's one of my great failures as a homeschool father that when you were done with your homeschool work by eleven o'clock in the morning, still in your jammies, yep. that we didn't just simply crush all of the seasons of Happy Days because that is Americana. We still could. We could. We, that it would be worth it because Arthur Fonzarelli, when when confronted with the fact that he was wrong, which was about once every three seasons or so, he just struggled to spit it out. And, and yeah. he would say, I was, I was, I, I was, and he could never really actually get there until no. somebody filled in. So I was related oh, to you being a abysmal you. failure, apparently. Yep, it takes a big man to admit when he's <laughs> which which I happen to know from Girl Meets World because they did a spoof Great show. that thing. That's one of my favorite. Like, that was one of those things where I didn't trust your judgment, and you're like, Dad, you got to watch this Honestly, show. Girls Meets should be over that by now. Girl Meets World, and I my thought, okay, fine. I'll sit down with Maya and Riley and Farkle and all these people, and it turned out to be a fabulous it's show. Such a good show, it really is. And we are watching Avatar: The Last Airbender right now, which is not the Blue People. It's an animated kids show. Yeah, from, more of an anime kind of Japan yeah, thing, right? Yeah, yeah, really good, um, really good. One of our one of my coworkers at one point uh, like sat down and talked about the whole lore behind like the creation of Avatar and everything, and I was like, "Oh wow, you really know about all of this." Um, but yeah, it's like an early, I think it's like late two thousands, early two thousand tens, like yeah. animated kids show. Um, it's it's unbelievable. They do not make TV shows like that anymore. Yeah. and and for a kids show, it handles some really like profoundly heavy themes. 
um, but really carries some like deeply moving kingdom messages throughout it. It does surprisingly, it's so it's like not Narnia. a kingdom show. But it is. It is a lot like Narnia, right? Right, yeah, in the it sense is. that it, it carries really those themes, but it was created in such a way to be like palatable to children. Yeah. Um, and so we are two episodes away. I mean. Oh, that's not right. We have two episodes left in season one, and it's the part one and two of the season finale. And I'm, I'm so looking excited forward. to yeah, watch I'm it with you. Very much looking forward to it. And, and in fairness to me, I actually did change my mind and came into it uh, much more open minded that you it'd did. be good. And, and you're right. So, well, what are we going to talk about today? I know that we talked about yeah. in that first episode your issues at the church. It sounds like we're going to reverse that role a little bit. Absolutely. And so I I will be taking the interviewer role this time, which wow, is so fun. I've never been over here I before. <laughs> Super weird. I feel like I should be sitting in your chair. And you should be sitting no, in my this chair. Is, this is the alpha chair. You have oh, not earned the alpha chair just yet. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Is it because I'm a girl? <laughs> Are we going to go there? That's going to come up every episode. This is going to come up you a lot. You know I am for women in the church and, okay. and, and ministry and in leadership, and not because I'm some, you know, a progressive civil rights person. I mean, I, I no. do care deeply about civil rights, but because yeah. the scripture, when we finally get to those different series, I think we can um, be able to talk specifically <gasps> that scripture does advocate for women in ministry. But that's a different topic for a different time. I just Absolutely. love that you bring it up every episode. Oh, right? yeah. I'm going to milk We're that only two as episodes much in, as I but can. You, I have a feeling it's coming up again. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so my my question for you is what are the issues that you have hmm. in the church besides my issues? Because we talked about that a little bit that we agree on a lot for of what sure. I talked about. Yeah, all of your stuff about business as church has, I, I think, wreaked significant havoc on um, <coughs> our life together in the church, not the least of which, just to maybe follow up on one point on that, Anna, it was one of the hardest things that you end up facing when you're in yeah. ministries that are actually businesses first in terms of why they are not why they exist, but how they operate in their life together is that you want to try to have Christian community with really lovely brothers and sisters that you're on a paid staff with. But inevitably yeah. there is somebody who has a supervisory role of some kind and has the power then within that particular organization to fire you if need be. And so you really can only go, uh, I don't know, just a certain distance in your friendships and relationships in, in church. And certainly a lot of people end up, or in church staffs, I should say, a lot of people in church staffs ends up feeling really burned because they get let go or because people have different power over them that doesn't yeah. exist in kingdom. That actual power doesn't exist in kingdom life. It, it exists in organizational life. And so I know you covered a lot of ground, but that's uh, yeah. one of them that's been the most difficult for me to navigate over these last 30 years, because when I've been in positions of power, I don't want to assert that kind of authority over other people. I really care about mutuality. And But when I'm not in those positions of power, I kind of don't bring my full self to the table very often for fear that I might lose my position in this organization, which then is the food on the table for all of you guys and all of that. And so yeah. it's... I think it just it it demands a different way forward at some point in time as we talk about sort of the future of the church and not just in this episode but in other ones. Yeah, can I make a a suggestion? Please. That maybe the idea of trying to live a <clears throat> a different kind of life in a different kind of kingdom that cannot be fully manifested on this earth mm -hmm. that trying to live that kind of life with the other disciples and and followers of Christ um, trying to fit that into the model of an earthly kingdom, which is a business, right? Uh, are, they are two fundamentally different things. It, it's a, it's 100%. a. What's the thing? Square peg, round hole. Yeah, that's it's like right. that. Like they don't work together. You can't have them both in the same space. You can't have an an earthly kingdom 
that is running an otherworldly life. Right. Like it, it, it just doesn't work. They're and, incompatible. Totally. And that's, that's another like fork in the eye moment for me too, because when right. people say church is a business and I just think, so these are the, the oftentimes will appeal to the scripture as a, as a guide and authority for life. I can't find anywhere in the scriptures where <laughs> it says anything about the church as a business. And so Isn't I know there a whole thing about Jesus, like throwing the stuff out of the temple when they tried to turn the temple into a place yeah, of business because totally he did. was like totally hmm, surprisingly those things don't work together they absolutely do and and so I, I counsel my young people and people that i teach in seminary as well i say it's really a good idea to be bivocational to to yeah. have income coming from a different place so that you're not leveraged into the institution in such a way that you kind of have to hide and play by the by the rules and and, and you can't really actually have an authentic, vulnerable relationship with other brothers, brothers and sisters with whom we're supposed to have an authentic and vulnerable yeah, relationship. Totally. It just gets, it, it actually is more than tricky. It's because of what you just said. It's it's actually incompatible at the end of the day, which um, I, that's not going to change anytime soon because so many no. people understandably are drawing their income from ministries. And so to just blow up that whole model nobody will have the will to do it again, understandably, because it's going to cost so many different um, jobs, but we're already seeing the diminishment of those job opportunities anyway. And so it'll happen organically over the next generation. There just won't be that many more ministry things, but yeah, that's, that's life in the church. But you asked me like, what, what else do I see or what is specific to me? Maybe the best way to go after that is just ask you a question to return. There's a little scary question. Okay. A little vulnerable. Okay. Um, we never do that. No, we don't. <laughs> so, um, so w- would you consider me to be an, an old man? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, that was a little too quick. Like you could have at least paused well, and considered some of the different for angles. Hesitating, on that. so that's I was true. like, you know what? No, okay. I'm just I'm sticking to it this time. Yes, you are an old man. Because because your mom has called me an old man since I've been a young man with a little twinkle in her eye. Absolutely. Um, and and I'm afraid, if I'm being honest, that it might be a little bit old man in the yard sometimes. Okay. And and it specifically comes out when I have rants in the classroom. I mean, the students they actually start you rant kind of, about things. Oh my gosh, my students actually kind of look forward to the rant. Oh like, yeah! Like jump on the soapbox and do the Hamilton thing. And As just someone rant. who sat in on your class, there is a period where you can tell that you're like hyping up for a rant, <laughs> and that I watch the other students in the room kind of slowly start to look around, like what's it's coming? coming. I know. <laughs> like they know. It's like when you hear the thunder in the distance, and you're like, "Aha!" It's it's a little bit like that where we yeah. all all of a sudden we're like, "Oh." He's he's gearing up. Here we go. It really it, it well. It feels a bit like Vesuvius inside. I have to be honest. Like oh, totally. I start I start getting kind of agitated about some things, and and so I had this old man rant happen around the hypocrisy of the church. I don't know, not too long ago, and it was. I mean, I walked into church. There was a, a series of circumstances that were going on in the world around us, and and the yeah. rant was really going to be about hypocrisy. Uh, okay. And, and most of the stats that come out these days when it, when we talk about why are why is your generation not interested in attending organized church at as, as it has existed or persisted and again we're not talking about you're not interested in church being the people of God following Jesus shining the light of spirit the whole thing that we talked about in the first episode we did um talk uh, a lot with students and there's a lot of stats out there and you ask people, well, so what's the number one reason why you don't want to go to church anymore? What's the number one reason why you feel burned by the church, upset, confused by the church? Like what, what would that be? Yeah. And as you might imagine, the, the perception 
fair or unfair is the hypocrisy that goes on in the church, meaning Absolutely. that that whatever's going on behind the scenes, behind the Wizard of Oz curtain, right? The man pulling the mm-hmm. levers or the woman or whatever it is, that it's different than what's being put out there in the public face of things. So I would imagine right. that in, in your generation, you hear a lot about people saying the church is not what it pretends to be. Yeah, Absolutely. Again, fair or unfair, that's the critique. Yeah, 100%. And I think especially in Christian circles, if they are willing to recognize that there is hypocrisy in the church, because I find in my generation there's a lot of resistance to that idea. Right. Um, I I think if they are willing to recognize that there is hypocrisy, it very much is through the lens of, wow, isn't that tragic that that person has not been following the ways of Christ and we're all going to sit in a circle and pray for them, right? Yep. Outside of my Christian circles with with some of my non-religious friends, um, it very much is the idea of the church or or the Bible is saying one thing and the church is behaving differently. And those two, th- like the church is contradicting itself. And so why would I want to be part of something that doesn't seem to know who they are or what they believe? Yeah. And I think that people who are day to day within sort of the bubble of organized ministry, maybe don't fully appreciate how sharp and how pervasive this critique of the church is. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's been building in me for the better part of 30 years like when I finally got to this rant a couple of years ago in my class. But I think they don't appreciate um, how, again, how sharp that is. And again, how pervasive it is that, yeah. that people have been so burned that, and if you think about it, Life is a pretty vulnerable experience, and, and, mm-hmm. and relationships are vulnerable places to be. And so you you start a, to maybe trust some things and let down your guard a little bit, and you start getting into friendships, or you trust the pastor, or you trust whatever. Totally. And then all of a sudden, things are not as they appear to be, and something happens that maybe has been going on behind the scenes for a while that you just weren't aware of or whatever. And once you get burned like that, and, and it is... One of the key themes of most of my students that come from all walks of church life, uh, evangelical, Catholic, mainstream, conservative, liberal, rural, urban, the yeah. main theme is that they have been burned by the hypocrisy of the church. And and why would you possibly want to go to a place again when you've been burned once? I mean, I, yeah. you know, in a dating relationship, right? You get b- burned by that person. You're going to have your guard up pretty substantially at that point. Totally. And I think the way to think about it is like, Because like you said, I feel like a lot of the church leadership doesn't acknowledge that it's as big a problem as it is, or at least that the impact of the problem is bigger than they they will talk about. Because if you think about it in like, okay, this is is a silly example, but I'm going to go with it anyways. I'm part of a D&D campaign. I will later this week be part of a one-shot campaign that one of my best friends is running. I listen to a bunch of different D&D podcasts. Like, I love it. I think it's so interesting. I think it's so much fun. I am such a nerd, but it's fine. Say, um, that, say that again. I am a nerd. I know that. <laughs> I, I don't shy away from that. I embrace it. Um, but the thing is, is that I had somebody really genuinely ask me a couple of weeks ago, so why are you doing this D&D thing? Because isn't it like devil worship? Yeah. And right. I was like, what? And I I had heard about how particularly in the 80s, it was really like grossly 
misused and kind of corrupted oh, and, sure. and went into some really dark and, and freaky places. It did. I was part of that first generation of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. I loved the first iterations of it, but pretty soon you really are worshiping Satan in some ways. It was really like twisted. Ways. It, it was very twisted. Yeah. yeah. And yep. so, and we even see it a lot. Um, and I'll keep this spoiler free for people who haven't watched it yet, but we see it a lot in, in season Things. five of, of Stranger Things yeah, in particular where there's a, there's a character who is made out to be a, a murderer or really a serial killer because he is associated with this D&D thing. And so right. they all blame him because they're like, well, he must be because he's a devil worshiper. Right. Um, and it's super, I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard to watch, but it's, it's frankly really interesting. Um, and so the idea that from the eighties, this whole game pun intended was, was demonized. Um, and then that even now in, in 2022, that we still have people who think about D&D that way. And that even though I'm sitting around with some of my good friends, we're having a great time. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun. And it's like a really cool way for all of us to connect to each other. Yep. That we have people who still think of it as devil worship. Yeah. And so it's like, so why, why, are, why is the church arrogant enough to assume that the impact of mm. repeated corruption in their leaders wouldn't have a similar kind of impact? See, now I'm starting to feel the same agitation level that I felt that led to this rant oh, a little bit in terms of what you're saying. Do we because, get a rant? Well, That's I, so fun. I'll, I, I will at least uh, mimic the rant that was given about okay. it because what you just said I think is so important. And and, and this is – Jesus has this very, very um, pointed critique of the yeah. of the religious elite of the day at one point when he is called – there's this whole big se- section in the book of, of Matthew about – he goes, you, you teachers of the law, you hypocrites. And then he fills in the blank. Is that blank. when he calls him a brood of vipers? Oh, yeah. He calls them all so sorts of fun. stuff. Yeah, he calls them all sorts of stuff there. And, and one of them that he says, in, in terms of a working definition of hypocrisy, he says, you are like whitewashed tombs. He says, you look, you look great on the outside. I mean, if it was today, it would be like, yeah, you yeah. have the skinny jeans and you have the, the, the tattoos and you have the perfect beard and the perfect glasses and you're super charismatic and you're like, you look great. I've had great. four different people approach me about that example and be like, what is your dad's problem? Yeah, well, this is part of the problem. I, and skinny jeans are not a problem and tattoos are not, a, and, and we'll talk, you no. know, we can, but, but it's all of this persona, this outward looking charismatic thing that's meant totally. to draw people in. And so they, you look like whitewashed tombs, says Jesus. But inside, you are filled with the bones of dead men, meaning yeah. that if you actually opened up or, or peeked behind this beautiful tomb from the outside, it has sort of this this um, whitewashing sense uh, of aesthetic to it. But if you open it up, it's filled with the bones of dead men. And and we're going to talk later in this podcast, I know we'll probably end with it, about how did we get here in terms of a failure of theology uh, around Absolutely. the word salvation and, and the, the the pervasive disip- uh, hypocrisy. There's so many lovely imagers sitting in churches and different organizations that just don't really know how to resolve the, uh, the hypocrisy. I've lived Absolutely. a hypocritical life in my time. Nobody taught me that salvation was maybe different than something about heaven when we die. There was something more. And I know we'll talk about that in a bit. But what you just said is where my agitation level comes from, is that we have seen over these last 30 years and now in increasing speed, it feels like. Oh, absolutely. Almost every week, every month, it is the latest worship leader, the latest pastor, the latest prominent leader that um, was presenting, quote unquote, the gospel. There are no secrets on the internet. Everybody knows everything. They do. But and nobody really knows anything at all. Oh, that's really true too. But but yeah, just search the internet and you'll see. Oh, yeah. And if you just did pastors who have fallen their prominent Christian leaders who mm-hmm. um, were clearly doing something else behind the scenes based in, and they had huge followings. And I think 
That already drives me nuts that we've been living in a version of the gospel that would perhaps potentially sort of pour fuel on the fire where just where we don't really know how to live a, a kind of yeah. life in which our interior world is actually growing in real character. Um, and, and so all of these pastors, they just one after another, you see these falls from grace and here's what drives me nuts yeah. is that existing ministries. And, and I, it, especially when I was on the radio full time and having to do a morning show that, that I enjoyed, but it was so often that I had to go on in the morning and defend yet again, another one of the headlines related to one of these pastors falling from grace. And we almost get into this little rhythm with it. It's, you know, it's, it, we, we read through the details, and you almost get numb or inoculated to the fact of how many people have been affected and and other ministries don't, it's almost a wink and a nod and you just yeah. kind of carry on. And then, then you end up saying things like, well, the message is still true, but you know, the messenger was sinful and everything. And, and I, I just think, oh my gosh, all of the people that have been deeply and desperately impacted, A, Absolutely. we should probably revisit whether the message that's being perpetrated in those places right? is true, right? And B, could we think for a second about the yeah. ruined lives that came out of that? And that's what's all been building over these 30 years to the rant that I'll say in just a second. Totally. And so so my follow-up question would be, um, with all of the corruption that comes out and that people talk about and that you are asked about in class is is what was the what was the final straw what was yeah. the one that led to this rant yeah <laughs> for me it was and I'm not I don't know if you're familiar with the name I think you've become familiar with it because you and I have been talking about it recently but you Absolutely. probably didn't know much about it but it was it was the fall right around maybe 2019-20 of uh, a man by the name of Ravi Zacharias was, uh, yeah. was that a name that was familiar to you prior to you and I starting to talk about this I had heard the name a couple of years ago um like I I knew of it but yeah. I I didn't know specifically what had happened i just and, and part of that was because when when did that happen when did i, I want to say was, i don't know 2020 ish i mean it's teaching during covid time and everything was such a blur in that time because we we're wearing yeah. hazmat suits in the classroom and everything so i couldn't really keep track of it but right around 2020 i would say okay because i think it was one of those moments where as you guys have done over and over in our in our childhood is when we come to you with a question about something the, the response that we will often get from you is, do you want to know or not? Right. And I remember Most of the time you, my answer is yes, but no. <laughs> right. Uh, oftentimes my answer is I would rather hear from you than Google. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. Can you text it to me? It's safer. Right. Exactly. When I can process it by myself. Right. But I, re I remember coming to you and, and saying, I'm hearing all of this about Ravi Zacharias. And, and it seems like a really big deal. Everybody's really upset about it. I don't know what's going on and I'm not sure what mm. accounts to believe, but nobody's even really saying anything about it at all. Yeah. What is going on? And you, and you looked at me and you were like, this one's bad. Yeah. This really one is bad. really, really bad. Do yeah. you want to know or not? And I was like, no, yeah. I don't want to know. I remember that. And and again, it, uh, Ravi has since passed away, so he's not here to defend himself. His family has come out and, and tried to maybe offer some revisions to the story a little bit or um, some different ways to understand it. And, and fair or unfair, I think the pattern of evidence that has been building over these last uh, couple of years when they began to investigate what was going on behind the ministry, some version of this uh, certainly was in play that led to his fall. And, and what was so troubling about it is Ravi Zacharias was just so well-known. I mean, especially yeah. in media circles, he would have maybe, it, when, you, when you're involved in Christian media, 
there's a lot of people that will have maybe 30 minute snippets that they produce really regularly and then they farm them out into syndicated shows all over the or as syndicated shows to various Christian media networks all over the country and totally. and it's a way that they are uh, media Christian media companies have to fill content uh, on an ongoing basis and so Ravi was this trusted voice of content that was really seen as one of the most prominent global voices representing God's kingdom through a version of the gospel that he was preaching. Absolutely. And you couldn't, and he was so well-known in those kinds of circles that you could barely say his name without people, almost like a nod of the head, a slight genuflection yeah. of some kind, because he was just held in Everyone that high of, of esteem. And people were so grateful that he was fighting for the gospel. And people had really thrown in uh, their lot with Ravi Zacharias and saying he, he obviously is sort of almost Billy Grahamish in some ways in terms oh, totally. of uh, uh, his prominence. And then all of a sudden the revelation started coming out mm-hmm. on the heels of the sort of 30 years of, of um, you know, ongoing patterns of, of hypocrisy. And, and again, want to be clear, there are so many lovely, beautiful, faithful believers and followers in the yeah. church. You know, wh- whenever we talk about these things, you and I are not either or kind of people. We're, we're patterns kind of people. Like what is the pattern that's going on? Totally. And so in churches, there are lovely people, but within all of this hypocrisy that was building within me, and it just got so hard to try to defend our faith and my positions and students maybe wouldn't take me seriously uh, just yeah. because I was a, a Christian leader. And they just assumed that, you know, I'm a zoo too. It takes me a little while to build some trust in the classroom with them. Well, the revelation started coming out from Rabbi. And he was, um, as he was running his business, and yeah. I, was, I was talking to a good friend of mine in ministry who said, uh, who was uh, on the inside of some of this, and hmm. and he said, you know, when Ravi would travel, his whole staff would stay sort of in the equivalent of a Super 8 kind of motel. Um, yeah. While he was staying in the five-star hotels, they were protecting the Golden Goose in many ways. And, and while he was doing that, um, he was taking ministry money that was funneled into the Rabbi Zacharias ministry, and he was starting to build out a network of massage parlors behind the scene. But massage parlors a bit of a euphemism for more of a, of, a, of a prostitution kind of um, business, I suppose, that he was running. Yeah. And and it just got worse and worse. So this is uh, some of the uh, an article that has, that was written in Christianity Today, hmm. where it says that even a limited review of Ravi's old devices reveals contacts for more than 200 massage therapists in the United States and Asia and hundreds of images of young women. And I'm glad you're saying, wow, because so often in the circles in which I run, you can feel my voice getting agitated. Oh yeah, There isn't a wow anymore. There's like, well, that's too bad, but we got to move on. And I just think, I cannot believe the amount of people impacted, number one, and the, the number of people that will have no interest in yeah. anything Christian after this. And, and we just because sort of move on. why would they? Why would they? It's, it's exactly like right. it's like when it came out about the Catholic Church and and what some of the priests were doing 100%. to the young boys. That's a, like that's a comparable example. That's exactly right. Most of my non-religious friends, when they hear about the Catholic Church, that's what they think of. Of course, and again, why wouldn't you? Uh, at, at this point, but and so anyways, keep going. Yeah, so hundreds of images of young women, including some that showed the women naked. Uh, Zacharias solicited and received photos until a few months before his death in May of 2020 at the age of 74. Using tens of thousands of dollars dedicated to, quote, humanitarian efforts, he was paying for massage therapists, providing them housing, schooling, and support for extended periods of time. One woman told the investigators that after he arranged for the ministry to provide her with financial support, he then required sex from her. She said, Ravi made her pray with, uh, this is unbelievable. Ravi made her pray with him to thank God for the opportunity, quote, they both received. And as with the other victims, Ravi called her his reward for living a life of service to God. 
Ravi went on to warn the woman, a fellow believer, that if she ever spoke out against him, she would be responsible for millions of souls lost when his reputation was damaged. The, this is the story. It's, it's, it's horrific. It's, it's stunning. Again, if we just pause, right? And, and we don't continue to just consume information and move on. You just pause and think about all the people impacted by this. Absolutely. And particularly, like, as a young woman, the idea that I would be asked to, to a certain extent, actively participate in in a religion and in a church institution where this is the sort of thing that is going on in in the leadership and then that the leadership doesn't really acknowledge it aside from oh that's so sad but he his teachings were really good so we're gonna keep doing that like to to have that kind of blown over or like brushed under the rug is terrifying because as a young woman what that tells me is that they aren't really super fussed right by the fact that that this man believed that because he was a prominent pastor and because he was, quote, faithful to God, he had a right to these young women's bodies as his reward right. for being a faithful for, for being a faithful leader. And and my thing is, is like, what is gonna stop any other pastor from thinking that? And why on earth, as a young woman, would I put would I willingly and knowingly put myself in a position where I might be taken advantage of? Mm-hmm. Because because some twisted old man thinks that they have a right to my body because God said so. Yeah. And then even like further than that, why would I worship a God who who would give my body to people as a reward? I, it's such a and again for people that are reading that that aren't on the inside of the church, as you said, or even people <laughs> on the inside of the church, why? It would be the equivalent of if I had, if I decided, you know, I have a couple of weeks to travel somewhere yeah. and, and you're like, you know what, I've been to this place because this is what's happened um, in terms of word of mouth kinds of stuff. And I was like, you know, I yeah. really want to visit Iceland now. Okay. I love Iceland. Now, Iceland there's, is, there isn't anything yeah. about Iceland that I haven't loved, but let's say I hadn't been there before and you had been there totally. and I said, you know, I'm thinking about going to Iceland and you have lived now in Iceland for like six months. Right. And and let's say there is no food, you're in the danger of death because volcanoes are erupting all over the place. The people are mean, they're nasty. And we're not, again, saying that this is no, an, entirely it's not. true. We're not, yeah. it's, it's, it's just it's an the example. example. The example breaks down because, again, there's lots of lovely people in the church. But if you came back and said, you should have nothing to do with Iceland given this experience, I'd be like, yeah. okay, thank you for the advice. I'm going to go ahead and, and maybe head to else. Peru or something like that yeah. instead. And that's what's happened. And that's what ministries, I think, don't appreciate is the the... The number one reason I would say why people are bailing from the church is because of this hypocrisy. It's what I hear over and over again. And there really is a theology or a way of understanding God that is giving rise to this, where it's not just Rabbi Zacharias. I mean, and I, I'm sure you see it with your friends too. Um, there are so many uh, people that I talk to that say, you know what? Honestly, if you ask me about my interior life, my interior world, yeah. I kind of feel hollowed out and alone and, and and confused and filled with things that I don't want to be filled with. Like it's 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 created almost a mini Ravi 
um, sort of discipleship in the church in many yeah. ways because of this theological confusion. And, and that's what led to the rant at the end. He's now already pounding the table. Poor Nat. I, I, he's going to have to try and edit that he, out. Well, let's just, let's make him try to edit that out. I, I don't think he, worst. I couldn't, well, you know. Nat, I'm so sorry. Yeah. So. Again, on behalf of my father, I apologize. Yeah, I'm sorry too, Nat. There we go. So, so here was the rant. So I walked into class that day in my little hazmat suit and my face yeah. shield in the middle of COVID. And, and I really was ab- agitated about this whole thing with I Rabbi. remember when you used to carry lollipops in your bag so that you could have one in <laughs> class so that you wouldn't have to wear the face shield <laughs> because technically you were eating, I was eating and the rules said that you didn't have to. Yeah. Wear it while you were eating, and I was like, "That is the worst loophole that I've ever heard." I and I have had, so much respect for you. Yeah, I actually had students starting to bring me Tootsie Pops uh, into class, so that's that, yeah, so funny. It was it was awesome. But that face shield, oh my gosh! I, and if I would have washed it at least once in a semester, it would have been helpful. It was so covered with spittle by the end oh, of semester. Yeah. It was like tree. It was a petri dish on, in front of it. So I walked into my hazmat suit and my face shield, and I really was agitated. It didn't even take me a second. To, to work up to it because it was when all of this went down. Yeah. And so tell me, old man in the yard, tell me if I went too far with this okay. one. So I walked in and I was already at, um, at, at DEF CON 1 and said, uh, this whole thing is coming to an end. The empire of Christendom is crumbling and it's not because Satan is winning the battle against the beautiful people of light. It is because this thing was not consistent with God's kingdom to begin with, either in the way it practices itself or in the way it understands the gospel itself. It's coming down so something else can rise up from the ashes that's going to be more consistent with the kingdom. I mean, I don't know that I would say that you went too far. I felt like I, I went too far. I would say that I agree with what you just said. Right. My thing is, is that a lot of those students didn't know how to think that way. No. So at this... that point, <laughs> so it's it's the difference between like learning to water ski, okay. right? Yeah. It's the difference between somebody who already knows how to water ski getting in the water and the boat taken off. Okay. And somebody who has never skied before in their life getting in the water and you take off. Yeah. Like they're going to die. That's like, no. And so I, I would say that you didn't do the wrong thing <laughs> in taking off, but I would say like, start a little slower, maybe <laughs> teach them how to water ski before you take off. Well, and that's what I did. Like I, I you know me and, and I so appreciate academic freedom, meaning yeah. that I give students a wide berth to think about things and they're never, ever, ever going to be assessed on whether or not they agree with me. I think that's such Absolutely. an unbelievably inappropriate use of power. I want to create the kind of space in the classroom where yeah. I sort of melt their brains every class period. I'm still so that they raging can think. about the one uh, class that I took yeah. where I wrote a well-argued logical paper right. Right, that diverged from our class textbook. And then my, my uh, professor gave me a C on that paper, even though it was one of the best papers I've yeah. ever written. It was my first essay of the semester. And I was like, all right, we're going to do a little experiment. And I wrote a terrible essay that I spent almost no time on that agreed with the textbook exactly. And you got an A. I, I got an A. You bet. Yeah. See, I can't abide by that in the classroom. I, I will try to melt their heads with thoughts and ideas and really keep them interested and and um, and really make them think about things. But I always tell them, but at the end of the day, you do not have to agree with anything that I might say. And I yeah. will try to fairly present all sides of the view. I want to teach you how to think and good method versus like what to think. So after my rant, then I went, then I just took a little breath, right? And, and I said, 
discuss <laughs> so that I wanted to hear right. all sides. And I'll tell you what, I mean, and they, they know that this is just even part of, of my teaching philosophy is it's really fun to rant and say extreme things um, and then let them kind of think about it. And then we start having uh, really, really in-depth and healthy discussions. But I think when I ranted at that level, it got the attention of the students and said, right, okay, let's think about these things. What has been going on in the church? Yeah. What has been going on with the theology that would get us to this place of all of these ministry leaders that are falling all the time? And a lot of people, they themselves are feeling like, yeah, I would really like to have a little bit of peace in the inside going out or love or joy, or these sorts of things. So, totally. so that was the rant and that's the hypocrisy. And that's been my, that's been the hardest thing for me to deal with over 30 years. And and I am not immune to it. I, I have stuff oh, that I have to work through. I mean, you're I think, human. Yeah. Dallas Willard. I love how he says it. He says, we never really have to worry about becoming perfect anytime soon, mm. but because uh, I'm operating in a, in a version of the kingdom that I think is helpful about God's love being for us. It allow and, and grace covering this, it allows me to come into the light with those dead men's bones that are inside my heart too. Absolutely. Most people don't feel like they can come into the light because they're living in all this fear. So that's that's to yeah. to try to to be associated with some of this and and um and have to try to defend it. Uh, I mean, it's just been really tricky. So that's yeah. my the, the hypocrisy. I know we've got some other things we'll talk about related to it, but that's been the totally. biggest thing. And I think uh so then my my next question would be. Uh, we talked about my issues with the church and then that my solution to that was to not be part of the church. Institutional and, church. Right, the institutional right. church. And to find that uh, Christian gathering and that Christian community in other ways. Um, you, however, have stayed. I you have continue stayed. to teach in Christian institutions, um, whether in the classroom or like from the pulpit. You still somehow miraculously are widely respected. I I don't understand, but it's did you true. have to modify your statements? <laughs> I mean, a little bit. That's fair. It's like it's what it's your whole thing about like academic integrity. It's like that. <laughs> I see. Okay, that's right? fair. Yeah. Yes. So so for so, for somehow, some reason yes. somehow um, they allow me to teach in seminaries yeah. and Christian ministries programs and all sorts of stuff with all my yeah. heresy. Yeah. But but my question would be, why would you stay? And because yeah. because my thing. My reasons for leaving the church are very personal, mm -hmm. and it is based off of widespread issues with the church, like more foundational problems with the church. Right. But really, when it comes down to the heart of it, the reason why I left was because it was really detrimental to my personal experience of God right. and my personal faith journey, and, and that is why I left. But the issues that you are talking about are so pervasive and so kind of like like they never stop they never stop coming right and so it's getting it's worse not, yeah. yeah and so it's not just something that is affecting your personal faith it's like something that is directly in conflict with the way in which you exist in the world and so so my question is why do you stay mm, that's you know that's a good question i think when I was in my early twenties, um, my faith was in pieces in some ways. I had yeah. um, I had failed miserably uh, when I in my first version of university life. I went down to a place called Mankato State University. I was a baseball player. Um, baseball player life in a state secular institution is probably what everything what 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 people would imagine it to be. And I came out of that in pieces and uh, and and went to an institutional church. It was it was yeah. a different kind of church uh, for sure. 
And I went and, oh, wow, did, did things um, catal catalytically shift in my life uh, as a result of being involved in that version of the institutional church. Again, they, didn't, they didn't do things the way a lot of ministries do them today. And so it was different, but there was such catalytic change. And, and I, for the first time, began to understand Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. I watched people's lives yeah. being changed. There was just so many things that happened. And, and I had the pieces of my own life picked up in the context of a church situation that I think was very faithfully bringing a gospel, again, very different than the gospel that is the most pervasive form of it today. It was a different thing that that church was bringing that I felt like was very consistent with the ancient paths, that the deeper magic yeah. right before the dawn of time. It's uh, just that, that reality of God that's been hardwired into creation that we lose sight of, but it's been there since before the dawn of time. And this church tapped into it in some really beautiful ways. And the pieces of my life were picked up. And at one point, the pastor was giving a sermon from Matthew 10. And it's a sermon in which um, it, Jesus basically gives the Great Commission. Uh, and the Great Commission is usually known from Matthew 28. It's the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and it's when Jesus says to his followers, now Jesus having been risen, he says, go therefore and invite people to follow me baptize them or surround them, immerse them in the name of the yeah. Father, Son, and Spirit, teach them you know, that whole sort of thing. But he's saying, go all the way out into the world and just just like tell people who I am. I'm, I, you know, I, I have conquered sin and death for Pete's sake. It, the, there's hope in this world. For Pete's sake. For, yeah, sorry. For Pete's sake. <laughs> I know that phrase has burned me for my entire life. Um, and and It's Jesus, never not funny though. No, it's never not funny. I know. And Jesus, though, he goes and he says that same great commission in Matthew 10, this pastor is pointing out. Right. And I remember just like something exploding inside of me when the pastor said this. He said, you know, this great commission, uh, it didn't go out to all the world first. Uh, Jesus says, go first to the lost sheep in the house of Israel, people who yeah. have been part of the people of God who are faithfully trying to follow uh, Jesus says, go to them first. And oh my gosh, it just exploded. And I thought, yeah, I had the pieces of my life picked up in this context. Yeah. There's many other church contexts where it was really difficult and it was really hard and it was propagating a, a, a version of God that I think was entirely unhelpful. But I found something different. I thought, I bet there's a, there's maybe thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that are in my similar boat right now that found hope and healing in this place yeah. that I would love to go minister to. Like I just, you know, to, to the lost sheep that maybe think they've heard the gospel, but Absolutely. maybe they've never heard it to begin with. It's it's something my buddy and I, he was the former chapel director at one of the institutions in which I teach. And, and we would talk about this often, how many people think they have met Jesus, but they met a version of Jesus and it wasn't actually Jesus himself. And, yeah. and I think, I mean, that's where the hypocrisy comes in and all of that. So that's really why I've stayed with it. And I'll tell you what, it's hard to do that work in really public ways, especially when there are these businesses that, yeah. uh, that are, that are I'm ministries. Sure. And, and if you try to say, you know, maybe we need to rethink some of these things, you, you can lose your job fairly quickly. Oh, yeah. Um, but in the quietness of my classroom and the quietness of other places, um, in churches and in many other churches, just, um, bringing a, a similar version of the gospel that I think was utterly biblically faithful yeah. that was going on in this church. I've watched so just truly hundreds of young people come to life and say, oh my gosh, I wish I would have heard the good news that um, 
in the way you're talking about it. And why did we lose track of this? It's so utterly biblical. I actually just shared all of this with a faculty member, mm. a whole faculty team yeah. really recently. And one of the faculty members just sort of burst out and said, my gosh, that is so biblical. Oh my gosh. And, then, and I was like, I know. That's I was so like, I felt fun. the same way. So like all the, those kind of experiences I've had over and over again, and it's kept me in the institution, even though I've been terribly frustrated by the hypocrisy of it. Yeah. Yeah. So you said something interesting a minute ago about uh, biblical teaching versus um, unbiblical teaching and and some of what you are trying to mitigate through these through these spheres in which you work. Um, and so I and and this is maybe a little bit of a scary question, Uh-oh. but we're going to go this is way this anyways. Un- I don't know what's coming, do I? I mean, you sort of do. <laughs> All like, right. Let's see. I don't know that I like you in this host chair. I think it's like, really the fun. lack of power I'm experiencing right now is is really disarming and disconcerting. I'm a little like drunk on power right now. I should <laughs> yeah, go pray after that. This, doesn't but, surprise like, me. This Given really your fun. long history, like you oh, getting yeah. drunk on power, I, it happens a lot. It's I mean, it's entertaining for sure. It sure is. It is. Yeah. 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 Um, so so my question would be, what is the biggest divergence, whether they know it or not? Oh boy. From biblical teaching mm-hmm. that you see i'll say specifically in the classroom like what is the thing that you bring it up that all of your students are like what do you mean that is not a biblical teaching yes okay i I don't know how to for sure and i think you and i have in our minds that we're probably gonna have a series of episodes that come after this to kind of dress this out so we, we can really do not much more than introducing it in this one totally um but it really is this version of the gospel that's really recent Mm-hmm. Um, which the primary question of the gospel is how do you get into heaven when you die? Like, yeah. like what does the Bible teach about what can you do to get into heaven when you die? And, and most people understand. How do you like, get saved? Exactly. Like, how do you get saved to get into heaven? And, and more importantly, how, how do you get, make sure you don't go to hell? Right. I had a student not long ago say, you know, I've never been persuaded by Jesus. I have been utterly persuaded by making sure I don't go to hell. And yeah, so, absolutely. And, and we... Again, for different conversations, how did we get here? The the theological telephone game that got us to this question. I, you're a homeschool kid. Do you even know what the telephone game is? I mean, there's like you yes, had you and your four siblings. I I like, well, how do you know what the telephone game is? Backstage at dance recitals, it was one of the few things. That and Cat's Cradle were the two things that would keep us quiet. Oh, <laughs> okay. It was, a, to... it was a game that like mandated yeah. silence. Okay. So I often teach this in class, the telephone game, where I will literally whisper something in one corner of the room and let the 30 students whisper it uh, to one another, and they only get one go at it until it gets to the other side of the room. And by the time they get to that, uh, to the 30th student or so, whatever it was I whispered at first sounds maybe similar, but oftentimes a lot of different little twists and turns and pivot points along the way where it does sound different. And, and most young people... In fact, I would say maybe even tens of millions of people have been introduced to a version of the gospel that, um, thankfully, it has been critiqued in some really important ways more, most recently and probably won't be the version of the gospel that's out there uh, yeah. within a couple generations. But they've been we've had this telephone game that uh, with, with many pivot points that I think are interesting mm-hmm. to look at that got us to this place of, of basically saying, um, you are going to hell. Uh, right. And you and you, I know you're going to talk about this in a little bit. I've been in terms told of many times that yeah. I'm going to hell. Um, and and you fully believe in a place called hell and a place called heaven. But mm-hmm. but to have changed the gospel in such a way 
that really what the gospel is, is that you need to do something to change your disposition or your position that will get you, yeah. that, that's sending you to hell so that you can then get to heaven when you die. And in the Bible, I, I love how N.T. Wright talks about it. He's like, we go to the Bible to try to answer the question about how do we get into heaven when we die? By what mechanism, he says it. By what yeah. mechanism do we get into heaven when we die? And he says, and the Bible's totally unprepared to answer that question because that's not what's at the heart of Absolutely. the good news. Now, heaven when we die and all of that, like that's all in play. And we'll talk about that later. But most students come into my class and they believe that they need to be saved, which means that they need to do something to get them into of, heaven. Out, yes, to get them into heaven when they die. and Or for the more pessimistic, as I think you were about to say, out right. of hell. That's exactly right. And I, and I just want to repeat that again. I've had a student, and I think he was reflective of a lot of other students that said, I've never really been persuaded by Jesus. Um, I have been persuaded to make sure I do something to get out of hell. And then yeah. they have whatever that something is, usually something called the sinner's prayer that we'll introduce in, in just a minute. They've done it so many times. They, they pray a sinner's prayer and then they keep failing and they wonder why they're hollowed out, uh, feeling hypocritical inside, look great on the outside, maybe raising their hands in worship and, and, and reading all these Bible verses or memorizing them and all these things. But inside they're just dying and, and they don't know why they're dying. So then they pray the prayer again and they have done this some some of them dozens of I myself have yeah. done it well over a dozen times because I've never I just, done it. <laughs> and yet you're you're following Jesus, aren't you? Yeah, that's really weird. Isn't that weird. Well, Super contradictory. Yeah, I haven't did well. What? Yeah, so are we? <laughs> oh, what? Yeah, wait, what? Yeah, wait, what? That, that was the that was the phrase. So there we go. So that I think that's the biggest thing that I see is that there's been a theology underpinning an idea of salvation that what salvation is is by some ritual you can properly position yourself for heaven when you die. And, uh, and and that really is the result of a fairly long telephone game theologically with yeah. a lot of pivot points. And when we start rebuilding a biblical case for what the gospel was, um, it really does have the capacity to resolve the hypocrisy. And again, now for maybe the third time, we're going to try to dress that out in weeks ahead. Absolutely. Um, but it, there really is great hope in all of it. But most people don't know the hope because of the way it's been presented these last, specifically even 40 and 50 years with some of the techniques around it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think we can lay some of the groundwork for it. I think so too. Um, here. And, and I think the biggest thing that we need to separate out is the idea that salvation means you go to heaven when you die. Right. Those are two separate ideas. Those are not the same thing. I mean, being in heaven is part of this like robust salvation that's being offered to us, but it's not in the way we think about it. It's not, you know, through like a magic ritual where God waves a magic wand and, and we get into heaven through, you know, a prayer. And we'll talk about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I think before we can start to talk about what it maybe is, heaven and hell and and salvation and all of that, I think we should start by talking about what it isn't. Sure. Um, or, or at least pointing out the logical conclusion of what is currently being taught in the church. I think so too. Because have you heard it? I mean, this is, so the most common question I get, and this is not just in my classroom, I will yeah. sometimes go into a pulpit somewhere and we're doing mic checks and then there's a few people who come wandering into church for reasons, um, maybe they wanted to get the, the hot coffee early, which I totally right. sympathize with, right? They or, were misled by terrible donuts. Yeah, <laughs> and but they got the fresh donuts because donuts like law of diminishing returns with donuts, right? If you go donuts, to the right? early service, you then you get the good donuts. You not only get the better flavors, but they're still a little soft. 
Yeah. It's like French fries at the end of the day. French fries no, seven exactly minutes in it. are terrible. One minute in, French fries are amazing. Glory. Seven minutes, not at all. Yeah. So I'll be doing a mic check before a sermon. And to do the mic check, instead of saying ABC or, you know, one, two, three right. or whatever it is, I'll say, hey, is anybody having a question? Or if you're me, ask? you chew into the mic for two yes, minutes. Yes, you do. That is our mic checks here on Deeper Magic. That you was just, fun. You crunch chips into, the, into the microphone. Um, and I'll say, what's the question? And here's the question that comes up in churches all the time. It's come up on all of the radio shows that I've done over the years. The most pervasive one, it certainly is the most pervasive one in the classroom. And it is, can I lose my salvation? Hmm. And it's based off of a, a, a version of salvation that has been presented and has trained pastors and people in seminaries for the longest time. Um, that has taught them a, a certain version of salvation. We can yeah. kind of talk through maybe some of the common ways in which it gets presented, but that is the biggest question my students come with. They come in with is, can I lose my salvation? I prayed a prayer. Now I'm backsliding right. or whatever that looks like. I call it BSing in class. And I'm always like, don't you, <laughs> I am saying backsliding. You don't fill in the gap. So it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's BSing and you get across some like magic line of salvation where now you're worried right. about hell. And so you pray the prayer again, and you kind of hop back over the line. It's like shirts and skins, <laughs> right? And it's like, you just put a shirt on. Yeah, that's exactly right. How do you know that reference? We're long past shirts and skins. I grew up on basketball courts with shirts and skins, but we don't do that kind of stuff anymore. I mean, like I watch a lot of TV shows and movies that set in like the 80s oh and 90s, sure you probably watched so. white men can't jump haven't you i'm sure I have. i'm sure no, Woody I Harrelson and those, yeah i'm sure they... that movie pisses me off to no it end. does it <laughs> i just the fact that he is exactly the same person that he is at the beginning of the movie by the end of the movie yeah no change he has had no character development he has not learned from any of his actions and he is going to continue to do exactly what he has been doing for the totally. last two hours i'm like what was the point of this movie he was like it was funny and i was like no it wasn't i know it was annoying. i can't believe it's so much a part of americana given it's so given, funny yeah it's, it, it, it it's is a, a great movie. I, I was laughing though while we were watching it so yeah it, but you're right there is this i have lost salvation so i need to pray it again and again when i ask a whole class how many of you have prayed this prayer multiple times almost yeah. every hand in the room goes up and i don't think you have to be the sharpest sociologist in the room to say i wonder what got us to this point like how right. did, how did we get to this point where you have sort of this pervasive whitewashed tomb thing, looking good on the outside, feeling hollowed out on the inside. Yeah. And I prayed the prayer a ton of different times. Like sometimes people bristle when I suggest how we got there and we're going to talk about that now. I know totally. next. Um, but I would say if you're, we can bristle about it and it, we're just looking for a faithful explanation of it. And when I begin to explain what's happened related to what you said yeah. about salvation, um, I think we can see the theological error that we've been making, which, I mean, my gosh, all of us make theological errors. It doesn't have to be scary to wonder about the errors that we're making. And and we just need to be humble and honest enough about the errors to try to find different ways. But that's life in the church forever. So there there's yeah. an error. I would say, and this is now... Have you heard the phrase, the the statement "sacred cow"? You must have heard what "sacred cow" is. Sacred cow. Sacred. Is that like the like? Oh no! Is that the biblical one with the golden calf, no. or are you talking about something else? No. I can't believe what's been sacred lost in, in our linguistic choice. A sacred cow is something that that's been set up that is a way in which people like almost worship it as a way of life or a way of understanding or whatever. And you don't tip those cows over, like you just oh. don't mess with those. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Where it's like you'll be driving and like people will be doing insane things and then there's a cow in the road and it's like, well, I guess we just have to sit here and wait until the cow moves because yeah. it's a holy cow. That's what I see. That would be the Hindu version yeah, of the okay. sacred cow. But a sacred cow is something like, okay, if I was a person going to church, um, we have to sing how great thou art 
with the organ would be a oh. sacred cow. Now, okay. I, that's, that song drives oh. me to tears. Okay? So like a made up thing. Yeah, it is. And that, and that song okay. to me is almost straight out of heaven. I can't hardly I sing that song. that song without being driven to tears. But when we turn it into something to say church has to be church, uh, and the only way church can be church is if we sing how great thou art uh, with the organ. And then it churches, becomes- a... Churches, 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 churches. <laughs> and so we have so many sacred cows. This is the biggest sacred cow, I would say, of the last uh, okay. 60 or so years as a way of prevent, uh, presenting this version of the gospel evangelism. Yeah. It's something, I, I don't know if you've heard of this, it's something called the Roman's Road. Yes, I have the heard Roman's of this. The Roman's Road. I'm finding fewer and fewer students have heard of it as much, but oh my gosh, this not was, in those terms. No, this but was, I know what you're talking. About. This was the gigantic sacred cow. So, oh boy, like it's even scary talking about it on a podcast yeah. like this. It's fine going through it in class and wondering about the merits of it. Students literally you're not being recorded in class. No, I'm not being. But during this whole COVID hazmat suit, that's true. You every, everything was on Zoom all the time, so I, I, there was no plausible deniability. Like no. all, all of what I teach is out there, which I'm fine with because I. I yeah. Really try to twist and turn things uh, biblically before I ever present them in class. So the Romans Road, um, one quick disclaimer before we maybe critique it a little bit, that's that's yeah. led to this sort of hypocritical way of life, is I really believe that God can't be contained entirely within our theological ideas about God. So okay. all of all of us are messed up on some level. Yeah. And 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 God's redemptive energy, meaning that God's love for his imagers is so profound that he's always using our imperfect attempts and vehicles yeah. to, to just rescue his imagers uh, in, in any possible way. So many people have come to faithful, authentic, genuine kingdom life through the Romans road. Okay. Uh, and, and I could say that about um, any number of things, but there has been this underside or underbelly to it that's got us to this place, if we're honest, yeah. of everybody saying, can I lose my salvation? So here's how the Roman Romans road works. All right, okay. you ready for this? Yes. The Romans road has three sign. It's a pretty short road. It only has oh. three. It has three signposts on it. Okay. Okay. There's three, and and it's pretty easy at the end of the day to to find the signpost. So you start, you skip over all of Romans one. Well, first of all, <laughs> this begins with, and and you should do the voice because you do the voice so much better than I what do. What voice this do begins, I do? Well, you'll see in a minute. Okay. This begins with the essential question from your youth pastor. Oh, thank you. Okay. Yes. yes. This is very it does, important. It does, it does, it does. Because you have to, okay. <laughs> and you do the scary, like, ballroom yeah, voice no, 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 way better yeah, than yeah. I do. When, when, when we have gospel night in a youth group or something, you know you're going right. to be warming people up to the point where you, you then then you're going to ask the big question. Okay? Yeah. And this is the question that, that starts the fear of going to hell. Okay? Right. And the question is, if you died tonight, do you know where you would go? Right. Like this, this is the good. question. It's not terrible. I can't yeah. do it as well as I used to. Um, but but if you died tonight, did you know? Do you know where you go? And man, when you're sitting in a that's youth a big group question chair, to ask a bunch of thirteen year olds. Well, yeah, and I've been scared of it into my twenties, and I mean, I oh, prayed yeah. a prayer so many times as a result of it because I'm like. Well, I, I think heaven, but I'm still a little bit of a zoo inside. So totally. maybe hell. I don't really know. I better pray that prayer again tonight. Uh, yeah. And so if you die tonight, do you know where you'd go? And so you create all of this existential angst of fear in the room where everybody's right. like, I would really like to make sure I'm not going to go to hell. And then they give you the Romans road then with the three here's, signposts here's and the say, tool. This, Thank is, you. Yes. this is where you go <laughs> to get to heaven instead of hell, which right. is, by the way, what you deserve. Right, exactly. Because that's a key part of this yes. as well. Thanks to, thanks to Augustine in, in the in the fourth century. Right. We've believed this for a very long time. A fifth century. And so uh 
anyway, if you die tonight, do you know where you'd go? The Romans Road gives us a way out. And and so what yeah. we've done uh, as like massive organizations have developed this Romans Road, which um, let's just say that maybe the biblical method tools to tease out these signposts wouldn't yeah. pass muster in like a, a, an introduction to biblical method standpoint. Because what you would never do is you would you would never like rip verses out of context entirely. Right. And and then just tape them to your steering wheel and, and claim Unless them, Unless right? you're a pastor. Then you can. See, for me, teaching and said like, uh, okay, different episodes. That's, that's something else How entirely. We we'll talk about that later. Because I've been on the inside of that forever. Romans Road. Yeah, okay. Signpost Romans, number one. Romans Road. So what we'll do is we're going we're gonna to skip over all of Romans 1, okay? Okay. Like that's not quite Useless. as not quite as God-breathed. <laughs> Are we going to do this tongue-in-cheek? This is tongue-in-cheek, right? It's really just a preface more okay. than anything it's, else. Yeah, it's a bit tongue-in-cheek. Uh, so Romans 1, we're going to skip over it all together. It's not okay. maybe as God-breathed as some of the other passages. Like when we rip them out of context, we've identified the super God-breathed ones where God right. really meant these. The sparkly ones. Right, exactly. So we're going to skip over all of 1. We're going to skip over all of 2. Right. We're going to skip over most of 3 and arrive at the first signpost of the Romans road. And it's, uh, it's Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and... Fall short of the glory of God. You got it. Finally. That one. I got Finally, it. Yes. I'll have it's said. like when your teacher calls on you in class and you're like, I promise I'm not an idiot. I just panicked. Yeah, exactly. It's like that. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's the thing. Right. And, and anybody listening to this uh, too, I would say that very few people, if any people, really know what the glory of God means in that passage. No. Like literally, we're just going to pull We can say the, it means heaven. Well, I know. We'll just make it a synonym. There's, there's a perfectly good word right. in the Greek language for heaven. No. It's not here. They didn't use that one. It's not used here. It's used glory of God. Boy, would that be fun to, to get into. But the point oh, is, yeah. is you've got to do this all have sin thing. So right. usually then your method to convince people that all have sinned is not to like go at the egregious sins in a person's life. You, no. you just need a simple one. So am I like I could ask you, Anna, have you ever stole candy from one of your siblings before? Yes. Yes, I have. And I will say there was a reason why for a few years in the Kapsner household, everybody kept itemized lists of their <laughs> Halloween candy <laughs> and would change those numbers as we ate that candy for fear that somebody would steal it. You I would, would like to say I have repented for that <laughs> sin at least four times over because I continued to go trick-or-treating even after I found out that I have really, really low sugar tolerance. Yeah. And so I can't actually eat a whole lot of candy. And so I would go trick-or-treating and then just divvy the candy between the kids. <laughs> so really... I've made up for stealing a few Kit Kats here. And, and you kind of like, even on a Zacchaeus level, you've made up for it. Like you've paid it back almost fourfold at this point. You've acknowledged, yeah. you, you came out of the sycamore tree, you acknowledged your sin and you've paid it back fourfold. <laughs> so, so clearly you've made restitution for your sin, but you, but you yeah. did, but you did sin. I did. And, and so now, now that you've acknowledged it, it's like, oh, we've got you. Yep. Like. Okay, so we're going to travel up Romans Road. We're going to skip the rest of Romans 3. We're going to skip all of 4. Again, relatively unimportant. Uh, skip yeah. 5. Can't really name much in there. Uh, and we will maybe justification by faith because Luther said a bunch of stuff about that. Uh, and yeah. then we'll get into Romans 6, and we'll skip most of 6, but we'll get to the end, another like super God-breathed verse. Right. And it'll be Romans 6.23. And, and do you I know, know this one. one. So, this is my favorite one. So you finish it again. The, the, the wages of sin is... Death. Okay, and we're going to stop there for a second. Okay. Death. You were you were really quick on the trigger with death there. I was. You that was that. the one because okay because I would argue that in this Romans road that the idea of that the wages of sin are death yeah. like that that I would argue is the central point. It's a hundred percent this. And and again in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written, there's a perfectly good word for hell. Right. 
Paul didn't use it here. He used the word death. death. It's the Greek word thanatos. It means a misery of the soul that arises from our sin. We'll talk about it much later. It's not death, but we're going to, but for the purposes of the Romans road, we are going to extract this verse out of Romans and make it mean death. Right. Uh, And then the wages of sin, or because we have stolen our um, brothers and sisters candy bar. You're going uh, to hell. You are going to hell. So The signpost says hell that way. It does. For sure it does. And now you've got youth group of 70 kids. And at this point. Oh, yeah. You will do anything to make sure you can get out of hell. Because you just acknowledge you're a sinner. You were just told that the wages of your sin is hell. Uh, yep. And now we have set the stage for the for the good news of the gospel insofar as it has gotten presented these last 80 years or so, and even a little bit longer, the start of revivalism culture. Jonathan Edwards, some other people uh, in these theological telephone game pivot points. Um, you then say, and see if you can finish this, the free gift of God is what? This one I don't know because so you the, didn't quiz me on that <laughs> one last time. So the, so the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is... Eternal life. You've got it in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And eternal, like again, Yeah. there's a perfectly good word for heaven in the Greek language. See, I'm already agitated. I feel like eternal life was a pretty easy guess. Yeah, it was a very good. And and eternal life shows up all over the New Testament. Yeah. It's like in Sunday school when they're like, uh, when you you go through and they give you like the fill in the blank things, but the answer is always Jesus. Right. All of the answers are Jesus. It's eternal life. Yes. Yeah. It was eternal life. And we use eternal life as a synonym for heaven. Even yeah. though there's a perfectly good word for heaven in the in the Greek, and Paul didn't use right. that either, um, life shows up like 122 times. Eternal uh, often modifies it. Uh, people don't know it, it. It takes literally my students about 11 seconds to get into a biblical study tool and see what the word life actually means. Yeah, it doesn't mean um, bias is one Greek word for life that would have to do with sort of existence or biology. Yeah. And so it's not talking about some eternal existence. And, and frankly, anybody in hell has eternal existence as well, right? And right. so we're already making some pretty critical theological errors by turning eternal life into heaven when we die. It has to do with the kind of life God enjoys. It's a, it's an eternal kind of life. It's a divine sort of life. It's what Peter talks about when we're to be partakers in the divine life. We'll, we'll talk about all that later. But for the right. Romans road, we have turned it into heaven. And so now you've got sort of the start of the good news. And, and at this point, um, having been trained as a pastor myself, I would know that I've got everybody convinced that they're sinners. I've got everybody convinced that they're going to go to hell. I've now given them a bit of good news that you can get into heaven. There's a free gift waiting for you in Jesus Christ, right. our Lord. Um, which then usually gets presented as sort of a Good Friday-only version of the gospel, that God was going to send you to hell for your sins, Yep. justifiably so, because God's justice and his anger and his wrath demanded it, because yep. God can't tolerate sin. And so God um, will throw you into hell. But here's a free gift. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and how we've interpreted that, meaning that Jesus took the blow from the angry father, um, and so thus he took the blow that was supposed to be for you and it was a free gift that was given. And so now, yeah. um, we, th- then it sets up the last part of the Romans, uh, road, skip over, uh, all the rest of seven, all the rest of eight, all the rest of nine, uh, and then pull out one more verse from 10. So if you just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, um, or a- somehow then we made that ask for forgiveness for your sins right. and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, which you don't. Actually, it doesn't have anything to do with this gospel Not because really. as soon as he took the blow, um, you're done. Then you will be, quote, saved. 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 And so your salvation is getting into heaven when you die and you're not in hell. And now you're sitting in my class 
Mm-hmm. One of bazillions of evangelical, Catholic, Protestant, like oh, every version of students sitting in my class. And you're like, and I'll ask them, have you been saved? And they're all like, yes, of course. Yeah. Um, and then I say, so how many of you have prayed this prayer all these different times? And why do you, why is there such hypocrisy in your life? And they're like, I don't have any idea at all. And in fact, yeah. I'm starting to get beaten down and I don't really know that I want to do it. And now you have Ravi Zacharias and you have the ministers. This is what has led theologically to um, to what I would say is an epidemic of hypocrisy is because we haven't understood what the good news really actually is. And we've ripped out all of these passages and created a massive educational system based off of them. And I know these are pretty big statements and people Absolutely. will understandably bristle upon them, but it does not take that whole way, just so people know, it's already mostly gone within academia. It, it, it has yeah. been so severely critiqued biblically that a new way is coming. And I'm really excited for that new way, which is part of why the Matthew 10, like I'm excited to stay within all of this because I can see people saying, like they've said over all of these years, we need to correct some things and and there's a new way coming. But that I think would explain it. Absolutely. And I think the idea is like, we talked about this a little bit earlier, is that this idea of salvation being equated with heaven and hell is based on th- uh, on a theology of fear. It is, it, for sure. And is. what is so Super interesting Super persuasive, to me, too. Right, absolutely. What is so interesting to me is that nowhere in the Bible does it say that God is a God of fear. Right. It does say to worship him with fear and trembling, but that translation of fear really should be more awe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. rather than anything else. But what the Bible does say over and over and over again is that God is a God of love. And it's even that thing that um, we used to sing when we were little that you and mom taught us where it's the like, I can't sing right now because I have a stuffy nose and I can't ever sing anyways. But <laughs> I, can't I like sing especially either, so can't yes. sing I've right now. I've never found a note, yeah. But it's like the beloved, let us love one, one another. For right? love is of God, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's that whole thing. It's First John and 4. It, yeah, First John 4, 7 and 8. Like, I, I totally, that's ingrained <laughs> in my soul. I, I remember that. that. I will I will have that song stuck in my head until the day that I die. Yes. But it's the, um, for love is from God. And, yes. And anyone who does not know love, does not know God. For God is love. Because God is love. It's unbelievable right? passage. Like, just let that be. I always say, just let the Bible be the Bible. Let's stop, like, auto-correcting the Bible. I know. Let's just let it be the Bible. And so the idea, first of all, it is about this salvation having to do with heaven and hell, is that is coming out of a theology of fear. It is. Which is fundamentally unbiblical. Well, and even John 3, 16, which is one of the most famous verses, and we'll break that down in future episodes about the beautiful invitation, is it says, it doesn't say God had to resolve his justice. It doesn't say God had to, you know, is is like raging in anger. It says, for God so loved the world. And and you've teased out a definition for love. Like We're not talking about some weird version of love that it just sort of embraces all things. I mean, there's no way that can be the love of God because then he wouldn't have had to come and he wouldn't have had to suffer. And like all of those things that we'll talk about, you have yeah. a great definition for what this love is. Yeah, I have assuming that God is a God of love and that that kind of love is an ever pursuing, always for you, unrelenting kind of love that will seek to bring you back into wholeness despite you walking away, which is the God of the parables that oh. Jesus has. Can you read that again? Because you've, you've actually pulled together a series of biblical words for love into one definition. Yeah. So we're making the assumption that that God is a God of love and that the love that he has for us is an ever-pursuing, always-for-you, unrelenting kind of love that will always seek to bring you back into wholeness despite you walking away from him. Woofta. I mean, right? That Yeah. Oh, there's much to say. Keep going. Well, then the thing is, is that if if you believe in the theology of fear rather than the theology of love, the, the thing that I wrestled with for a while, actually, because I saw something kind of offhandedly at one point, 
that broke down Christianity and its beliefs and its theologies and its doctrines. And it was like, tell me how this is any different than an abusive relationship. Mm, Yeah. And a lot of people have this critique for sure. Right. And so the thing is that I have is, is maybe salvation isn't about praying a prayer. Maybe the idea of salvation and the idea of heaven aren't one and the same thing. Maybe the fear of going to hell isn't a good reason to worship God because God genuinely wants to be in relationship with us. And if we're only doing that out of fear, that is not a genuine relationship. And actually a fear, like being in a relationship out of fear is an abusive relationship. And it's why so many people don't want to be part of the church is because they don't want to get into a relationship that is based on fear. But I would argue that the relationship with God is not based on fear, it's based on love. Mm-hmm. And when that, just read it one more time, because that because I'll have a quick response to that. Read the definition yeah. one more time. Uh, that God is a God of love and the love is an ever pursuing, always for you, unrelenting kind of love that will seek to bring you back into wholeness despite you walking away. And and I think especially the way you've conditioned that at the end, it recognizes that I am not whole, that I'm a zoo inside, that I have walked away, that in ways in my life I've I've shook my fists and stiffened my neck, and that in the midst of all of that, if we actually read, you know, again some of the scriptures while we were yet sinners and this kind of stuff, absolutely, he's coming for us. Like what that then elicits in our relationship with God is um, now amazing grace, how sweet the sound, and like oh, you are still for me, even though Absolutely. I've been a disaster, you're still coming for me, even though I'm a zoo. And, and it sets up the relationship of gratefulness. And I want whoever this God is, I want to be in relationship with this God who is coming for me, even though I was a zoo. And it's not fear. It is now like reverence and thankfulness. And, yeah. and, and then when you combine it with, I think, which is, well, again, later episodes, we'll talk about a, um, a theology of sin that would be really helpful. I think when you combine it with that, you're like, oh my gosh, I want to stay in relationship with this God. And and it's not because if I don't, I'm going to cross a magic backsliding line and have to pray some magic prayer again. Absolutely. It's like, I, I am a zoo for a lifetime. And uh, and there needs to be something else at work that goes beyond a Good Friday only gospel and into Easter Sunday. And then everything changes from there. So yeah. I know we'll talk about all that stuff. I just get so excited about it. I don't, I don't want to talk ahead too much, but I think... Where the devastating critique of salvation comes in, you and I have talked about this a lot, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so when students are coming it in, it just doesn't make logical sense. It doesn't. Even even if the theology was sound, right. the follow through to the logical conclusion is ridiculous. Well, and, and that makes it mean that it can't be sound because God's right. kingdom is going to be sound. <laughs> absolutely. And so when people are like, even if we can't comprehend thank it, thank you. Well, of course, it we're, is yeah, sound. We're always like you just. We're always only approximating at best because right. we're human and God is God. And I, the example that I use, and it's a stupid example, but it kind of teases out this absurd conclusion part of it. When people right. say, "Can you lose your salvation?" So because that's the essential question. If salvation yes. is what will separate you from hell right. and get you into heaven, can that be undone? Yeah, well, <laughs> and so uh, let's just pretend you're me, okay? okay. Let's pretend you're me. Um, and and a student, so I'm the student, and I come, Kapsner. They don't, yes. you know what, they don't, I do not sound like that. Yeah, you do. I do not sound like- It was your professor yeah. voice. <laughs> I do not have different voices. You definitely do. Oh, I know, you mock me for my different voices. Okay, so, um, so I come to you and I say Kapsner because nobody calls me Professor Kapsner or Dr. No, Kapsner. No, no. I don't know why. They call why. you PCAPs. They That's call. what they call you. Okay, so let's do it that way. PCAPs. Yeah. <laughs> Can I lose my salvation? No. Okay, let me go through this one more time. PCAPs. Um, I, I prayed this 30-second prayer at youth group when I was terrified of hell, and it means that now I've been repositioned properly for heaven. Is there any way I can lose that salvation? 
Absolutely not. And now I'm actually getting a little excited, but not for the reasons you think, PCAPs. Okay? Just because you're excited to be saved. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Because you're going to hear what I'm excited about is that um, can I? I'm just going to ask one more time. I want to be really clear before I tell you what I actually want to do with my life. Okay. No, you cannot lose your salvation. Great. Then I'm going to become a pirate. What? <laughs> right. Wait, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, so, <laughs> so this is how this goes because you, you just told me like for, for people yeah. that are like, this is absurd what you're talking about, but let's think about this. You just told me under no circumstances, no matter what, I can't lose my salvation. I can't that lose my, my heavenly ticket. So great. I am now 18 years old and I am going to become a pirate. I just got done watching Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm going to buy a great movie, it's a by great the way. Movie, yes. And I, and I don't know how to build a boat, but I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to buy a boat building kit off of eBay okay. and, and I'm going to assemble this kit and I'm going to take it up to Lake Superior, Northern Minnesota, and I'm going to become the pirate of the Lake Superior high seas. And I'm going to learn, I don't know what pillage and plunder means, but I'm going to learn. It to basically just means steal and steal. It's like two different kinds no. of stealing. Okay. All right. But like the pirates really need to remember what they're what they're supposed to be doing with their lives, so they just say steal and steal. Yes. Okay. So that so I can't lose it though. So I'm gonna steal and steal. I'm gonna okay. pillage and plunder. Um, yo yo ho. Uh, what? Are, uh, that's not even the pirate's life for me. Thank you. I can't even do the, the proper pirate. But I'm gonna become a pirate for my whole life, and I'm just gonna live a self-absorbed, yep, pirate, half drunk sort of life where I just where I steal and steal every once in a while, and then finally uh, at the age of ninety, it was one bottle of rum too many, and and I die. What a way to go. I know. And, and, and I get to the other side and I get to the, the pearly gates and, and St. Peter's there as Peter is. Hey, Peter. Hi, and, Peter. Right. How's it going? Exactly. And he's like, well, that was an interesting life. I mean, you lived a life as a pirate for your whole life. Yeah. Um, and, and he starts kind of thumbing through the Lamb's Book of Life where I'm, my name has been written down. You get to watch the highlight times. reel of, of your <laughs> life. That sounds horrible. Have you ever, I, is uh, that still a thing? I would people die say again. It? Like, honestly, I can't think of a worse experience of the first part of eternity than the several billion people that are there. Yeah. We sit down and watch each other's videotapes of our lives. But I can't I've been told wait to this. be one of the several billion watching everybody else's lives. I just, there's no, there's not enough popcorn in the world that would make me excited <laughs> to sit back and watch everybody's life in heaven. There's not a popcorn in the world. Not well, and if, if I can't lose my salvation, <laughs> then I can be as judgmental as I want about everybody else's lives and it won't matter. <laughs> You're the worst. Okay, so I get up. To the pearly gates, and Peter's like, That was a wild life. Like, for, for 72 yeah. years, you were a pirate, but you were scared one night at youth group, and uh, and so you prayed a prayer uh, about all of that. Okay, okay, I, I just need to step back for just a second. There's lot, yeah. there's lots of lovely, faithful people who have been introduced to God through these ways. I'm just going to keep saying that, but I'm not going to shout There's a reason it's been so effective for so long. Right. And and people really have found genuine relationship in those means. People, when I bring this up, they always object and say, but I know a lot of, and we do know yeah. a lot of faithful followers, but there is a flip side to this that is the the reason, how it's led to a much bigger pattern of hypocrisy. Now Absolutely. that's that. So I get to the other side and he's like, so you prayed a magic prayer when you were 18 and, uh, and you said the words. Um, and and so, yeah, you get into heaven even though you're a pirate for 72 years. And, yeah. And when I say that in my class, because I do. Cause he, Go ahead. Yeah, because yeah, cause here's the thing about that is that by that example, if you can't lose your salvation and right. if you pray the prayer and, that, and that's it, that's end game, then by that definition, when I die and go to heaven, Ravi Zachariah will be there. 
For sure. And I'm not and here. And that to... is something I don't know how to wrestle with. Right. And, and because because that's exactly, I mean, and I'm not here to say whether Ravi is or is not in heaven. No, of course but not. But when you begin to read the, the, the abuse that he has perpetrated on, uh, you know, so many people, yeah. that's not even, in the, the point is, is not whether we think Ravi is in heaven. That's not for us to know. But the point is, is that um, it's a great example that under this theological framework, then there is no question that there is anything other than heaven related yeah. to that, even though the sort of hellish life on earth that was going on, that is such a good example. And, and so, so when I bring that up, there gets to be some understandable confusion in the class and people are in the first move that often happens. And it's boy, it's what happens in a lot of, of churches and theology classes that I teach um, is that, well, but maybe, maybe it like you didn't, prayed or got like it didn't work or something yeah and this leads to you people, mixed up the words yeah or something. and this leads to people praying it 13 times um because nothing has really changed in their life and they weren't maybe actively trying to be a pirate or do the yeah. rabbi thing but they're still dying inside it's the whitewashed tombs and so they they do the prayer again so already we have a problem and then but then if you say well okay there's got to be a different way to think about it can you lose your salvation right now that's equally scary because then where's the line how do you like know? when do you know Right, yeah. and, and and if you can lose your salvation, would and this is absurd, but would it not be better off to get hit by a bus accidentally at the end of youth group every night um, before you even have the opportunity to lose your salvation? I mean, yeah. really, we should be hiring all of the buses of the local community when it's gospel night, and if, if 30 people got saved in that way and they can lose it, just run them down. And, I mean, out yeah. of a severe act of mercy. Now, this is, this is silly, but it's well, not silly at the end of the day in terms of highlighting the irresolvable conundrum of this version of salvation. And I, I would argue that that, uh, it came from other places as well, but I would argue that that is part of where the idea of, and, and I'm sorry, this is a, a much more serious note than we have yeah. been on so far, Sure. but the idea of um, suicide being a, That's a big like one. an automatic, like now you go to hell. As, as a pastor, I've had to deal with that one over and over and over again. So keep going. Because I feel yes, like please. that is something that they, I I can't reconcile in myself that a God who, who truly deeply loves me, and and wants to be in relationship with me, that if I was pushed to that level of of pain and hopelessness. Yep. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna cry. But, but the, it's because this is your world. It is it, yeah. like it was so infrequent in my world growing up, and it has become this a pervasive part of your world. world. It is. It, it, what is going on in the world around us? It is like, I mean, there, there's a yeah. passage Anna that in in Exodus where when the people are have been in, enslaved for so long, it just says that they're crying out, but they don't even know what they're crying out for anymore. Absolutely. And we we live in a crying out world, and nobody really even knows what to do or say about it anymore. And, um, and so, yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it's not surprising because it's everywhere right now. Yeah. But the, the idea that somebody would be pushed to that level of, of pain and hopelessness that they would take their own life. Right. And that God's response to that would be now you go to hell is, is so deeply troubling to me and so deeply inconsistent with how I have experienced my relationship with God. Yeah. But it's one of those things, like like we talked about before we started recording, 
the like theological plot holes that are created by this doctrine of fear is not only can you lose your salvation or can you not lose your salvation. As if this is and, what salvation is biblically, because it's right, not. Yeah. Where, where then it doesn't really make logical sense, but it also creates this whole host of problems for you. Like, wouldn't you be better off getting hit by a bus right. and infant baptism and, and all of these different ideas where suddenly people are trying to mitigate against the idea that billions of people are going to be going to hell because they didn't know that they were supposed to pray this prayer when they were 13. Right. And 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 being in those really raw places of grief as pastors as I have been and, and so many of my friends have been, when there has been a suicide in the family, uh, people are like, well, I, I, did they become saved in this version? Yeah. But there still is this, you know, angsty question about what did they lose their salvation as a result of the suicide? And but and here's now again in in the in this raw conversation in this version of salvation, if they could, if they can't lose their salvation, then in the hopelessness of this world, and we've actually talked about these things in class. If yeah. this is true, in the hopelessness of this world, like what maybe wouldn't you want to take your life if it's so hopeless? Because Absolutely. then you get to go to heaven. But if you can lose your salvation and you're at risk. If you do do, I mean, then it, pastors are in really tough places because of this theological yeah. framework. And again, I just don't think there's many large ministry contexts that really appreciate what's going on in the ground level. There's a real disconnect between how people are experiencing their faith in these places and 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 what is spinning in the business as church, you know, church as business kinds of models. And uh, and, there, and that doesn't mean there's not a lot of pastors that really deeply care about this, but then they don't have the reason because many do. I've met yeah. so many beautiful pastors, but then they haven't been given the resources. They've been given this version of salvation. Absolutely. That you brought up infant baptism for people that might be bristling a little bit about, well, you're taking, you know, you're tipping over the sacred cow uh, that is the Romans road. And and we will fill in gaps. I mean, you and I have all these yeah. like hanging. Do you even know what hanging Chad means? Hanging Chad? Hanging Chad. Okay, so hang just quick. We, you and I have a lot of hanging chads we're gonna have to sort out okay. in episodes ahead as a result of this episode. But the hanging chad was when Al Gore and George Bush uh, in the 2000 election, it all came down to Florida and there were these paper ballots and they couldn't tell who got the actual vote because it hadn't been punched all the way through. This was before, again, electronic voting. Okay. So they had all these hanging chads and they couldn't tell if it was a vote for Gore or a vote for Bush or what it was. It was like a little piece of leftover paper that hadn't been pushed all the way That's through. really funny. And so it was uncertain. So we've got all these hanging chads. But to your point of um, infant baptism, that came into play... In, in like the 400s ish, yeah. In which um, parents were wondering what happened to their children that were dying before um, they they got uh, maybe out of infancy, right? And uh, Augustine started uh, something that was called infant baptism at the time for a variety of reasons. Too too much to get into now, but then for 1500 years, the church, m hundreds of millions of people practiced infant baptism to secure the eternal eternal destiny of their. Infants. Yeah. So much so that your own great grandmother, my grandmother, lost three children prior to being baptized. Um, yeah. One stillborn, um, one got a pharmaceutical dose that was for an adult, but as an infant and died as a oh. result of it. And another, so I've, I lost three of my aunts that way. And they were all buried outside of the walls of the church cemetery because they hadn't been baptized. That was a the yeah. theology for 1500 years that impacted hundreds of millions of people. And in 1960, the church came, in this case, it was the Catholic church came and said, we're going to change the theology to say that unbaptized infants, instead of saying that they go to hell, that they're left in the hands of the grace of God. 
Yeah. And people began to dig up their loved ones and put them on the other side of the cemetery. And the point of that is, as you and I are taking on this version of the Romans road and salvation and all this stuff and, and where we can go to hopefully, not just us, many, many, many people are writing about this. We're just trying to faithfully reflect what's in the scriptures, yeah. right? We're not like some kooky theology. There's a, there's a massive corrective going on, on underway from this weird version of Romans road salvation that has hollowed out so many people. There's really no reason to be a disciple. There's really no reason to like figure out what it means to change from the inside out, to, to experience something in the midst of the pain and the, in the crisis, all these whitewashed tombs. Yeah. Well, this isn't the first time that the church, even though it went to hundreds of millions of people, maybe it missed something along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say, I have one thing very briefly, going back to the idea of can you lose your salvation and your pirate example and all of that, I forgot to say this earlier, but I would really, really highly recommend the book the Private Memoirs and True Confessions of a Justified Sinner. Is that the, this is a little dark, isn't it? It's very, it's, yeah, it's not something to be taken lightly for sure. Yeah, but it um, gets into this theme a little bit. Yeah, and the the author, I believe, was James Hogg. And, and basically, the first half of the book is like witness uh, testimonies. And the second half is this guy's, this guy's memoirs. And it is a fictional story. But the idea of it is that this young man is told as as a child that mm-hmm. he is predestined for heaven and and when he kind of is reaching adulthood he is corrupted almost by this supernatural figure of some kind it's never really established in the book what he is and is told that his mission from god is to uh wage war on the sinful yeah. essentially wow what and a so this guy goes out and he becomes a serial killer and believes that it is his mission to strike down the enemies of god and he and he justifies this is what's called a justified sinner um in in saying that in taking their lives either he was doing god's will and striking down the enemies of god or he was helping the elect get to heaven faster. Mm. And it's basically throughout the whole book, he he wrestles with this idea of can you lose your salvation? Because he is very much in conflict about what he's doing, but there's also like some deep twistedness inside of him that is like, but I kind of want to be doing this anyways. Mm, interesting. And so, it, yeah, it's this really interesting premise that, that takes that idea to a, a much more serious, logical conclusion of, of what, now becomes possible if you can't lose your salvation. Well, and just what you said, that kind of, I kind of want to be doing this. I was talking about this Ravi thing with some friends the other day and <coughs> and just saying that I think if a lot of maybe 25-year-old young men were honest, there there was a part of Ravi's life, yeah. like these would be Christians, there's a part of Ravi's life that was maybe mildly intriguing to them. So caught in, you know, some versions of sexuality, twisted, taught by porn, all of that. Yeah. And, and would have maybe even been intrigued that Ravi was knowing that it wasn't the right thing to do, but intrigued by it. And, and this goes into that idea of there, there is this theological reality, as much as it's brought some people into faithful, beautiful relationship with God, and it really has. Um, yeah. It really, I, I think history will probably see that it also created an epidemic of hypocrisy and what now many people are talking about as a crisis of discipleship. Believers don't know how to walk in a different way and then the hypocrisy has really turned off so many people from the church. We have to have a different way. I, I know you and I have got a ton of hanging chads and a can of worms that we've opened up in here. Oh, I, yeah. I don't know how we can't do it all here. How, you're the host. You're you're the one running Absolutely. this deal. So how do where do we finish from here? I mean the the last thing that I would say about all of this is that 
given that it doesn't seem like salvation equating heaven and hell, like it, it doesn't seem like that's a particularly solid foundation. Right. Um, so, so then my question would be, what is heaven and what is hell? Mm. And, and I feel like there is actually a relatively simplistic answer to this, sure. at least on the surface. Because which, you and I fully believe in heaven and hell. Some people are like, oh, you know, there are this, that, and the other. And so, nope. No, no, I nope. do believe in it. Um, but the, the thing that I will say is that, and we've talked about this a whole lot, um, is that hell is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is. And, and that is Isn't in Isn't that Luke, like Luke? Yeah. Yeah. It's Luke 13, 28 and Matthew 13, 42. Okay. Um, which I say as though I was the one who looked that up. I was not. Um, <laughs> but hell is a, hell is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And as far as my understanding goes, and, and and correct me if I am wrong. Oh, I will. I, I will. I do. I With do great believe you. Pcaps will gratefully, yeah, thoroughly correct you. Take the opportunity. I will. Um, but for me, that is the people who who going back to your pirate example, right? Is you get to the pearly gates and you're like, mm. is there piracy in heaven? And they're like, not really. Or you're kind of not supposed to do that in here. <laughs> Can't steal and steal. Right. And and which first of all. I feel like wouldn't be a thing just by the nature of heaven, much less like a moral thing, just because like it doesn't seem like heaven would be big on like material wealth. True. So, okay, that's fair. You know, that's I feel like there wouldn't fair. be really much of anything to steal and steal, <laughs> even if that was allowed. That's very fair. Um, but at that point, if you really truly desperately wanted to be a pirate, why would you go into heaven? Hmm. Why wouldn't right. you be like, no, I don't want to be part of this. I want to keep doing my pirate thing. Right. And you leave. And it's and it's C.S. Lewis's example of the doors locked from the inside, and it's the dwarves at the table during the last battle, yes. where they, where um, Edmund and Lucy and and some of their other people, is Edmund there? I don't remember. Yeah, Edmund but and Lucy. Should, I think the, should, yeah, whoever Susan is wasn't there, there but yes. Susan wasn't there. I do right. remember that. Um, I blocked that out. Yeah, it's, I only a, found that out. It's a, few a traumatizing years ago. part of the whole night. I forgot thing. about that. I know. I know. Um, but. They, they look up and they see that they are in this newborn Narnia and that the Narnia that they have known was really just a shadow of what was truly there. And it's this beautiful, like, triumphant moment. And then there are the dwarves who are sitting around the table and, and Edmund and Lucy are like, please look up, please see what is around you, see how beautiful it is. And they're like, no, hmm. I refuse. And they will not look up. And they continue to sit at their table and, and they and they refuse. They say no. And they... They will not participate. Mm -hmm. And so that would be my argument is that with the exception of the people who actively seek to destroy God's kingdom and, and the sacred imagers, I would argue that, that hell is the place of the people who, who are stubbornly refusing to, to take part in God's kingdom that it, that it's more of a choice yeah. rather than a God casting them out with with the exception of the people who are actively dangerous to yes. the kingdom of God. God does move with energy towards the latter part of the, like what you just said, all throughout yeah. the Bible. It's with a great faithful sorrow. Witness. I know, he, his wrath is still sorrow and grief, but it will be a, a ferocious energy that will take out those people that are actively keeping the other imagers away. But I think to your point, now that's so faithful to the scripture, because you hear these things like, if today you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. 
you know, and so there's a hardening of heart or a stiff neck or hard of hearing. Uh, that's the kind of thing where the door is locked from the inside. I, and, and so this gnashing of teeth is I, you know, it's sort of this stubborn grinding. I will not yield. I will not yeah. give up. And, and, and so it's a place of misery because it's outside of the presence of this beautiful God. And, and so I think that's a very faithful view of hell. Yeah. So, so if that's our idea of hell, then does everybody just get into heaven and that's just it? Like if, if you wanted to partake, if you choose to yield, like, would you just everybody go to heaven? And, and here is my kind of curious argument. And I'm so curious. We can talk more about the, the potential theological or biblical support, um, for this idea in, in a future episode. But I would argue that if we're talking about salvation, that, that Jesus's death on the cross and his resurrection, which I would argue is equally as important, if not more important. Well, here's what I'll say about that quickly. Like this version of the gospel that comes from the Romans road, as I said, it ends with Good Friday. But Paul had the audacity to write in 1 Corinthians 15, he probably didn't even know the Romans road, Um, but Paul and Roy... (laughs) In First Corinthians, right? Okay. Anyway, that's our. All right. So, First Corinthians fifteen, he says that if um, if the resurrection, if he was not raised, if the resurrection hasn't happened, your faith is actually in vain. And and how much? Since when was the resurrection taught in the church as the primary place uh, of understanding salvation? Anyway, continue. Yeah. Um, Is that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection? is what gave us salvation. Right. Salvation has already been given to us. It is not something that we have to achieve. It is something that has happened. Right. We have been saved. Right. Right? And that it is heaven then as a result of us being saved because salvation and heaven are not the same thing. Right. They're related, but they're of not course the same they are. thing. Right. 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 And so now that salvation has happened, heaven is open to us. Yes. We just have to choose it. Like the way the way back to the garden, yes, has been opened. Mm-hmm. That has been undone. That power was broken. That that way has totally. been reopened, and and the Genesis curse has come full circle already. And now we just have to choose it. We just have to choose to walk into the gates. Yes, that that would be my argument for I, all of that. Because Genesis three with the fall says that you can be like God, knowing good and evil for yourself. Cut him out of the equation. Yeah. And thus you are in exile. Um, that the way back is to, is to basically say, but you are God and I am not. Now, yeah. it, we're going to need to unpack all of these things, you know, and because yeah, people we've then, said a lot. We've oh my a gosh. Lot. And, and people are always like, well, okay. And they're still asking these questions about, can I lose heaven? And like one of the really important theological moves we'll need to make consistent with the text yeah. is not, you know, sin is not this static thing that either you have or you don't have. It's a power at work in all of the imagers. It's a dynamic power. It's like a leprosy and a cancer. Absolutely. And, and how did you, what did Jesus do on the cross in coming out of the grave that dealt with the ongoing dynamic active power of sin in our life? That becomes the question of salvation. But to your point, yeah. you're right. Um, the invitation is that the way has been opened. And, and this, this story kind of starts in Genesis 3 with the exile from the tree of life. Yeah. It ends in Revelation 22, and the whole thing is brought back together with now the way is once again open to the tree of life. So within this exile, how do we live and how we answer that question um, or what we say 
you know, you are you are God and I am not, puts us in that place of humility where we say, now I need help. Absolutely. And, the, and when you begin to say, now I need help, that's when salvation begins to come to you. And that's where we'll head in future episodes. Absolutely. And and I would say that the the experience and the relationship that I have had with God so far has not been the one that to take the theology of fear and of God being angry with us, which we'll which we'll talk a lot more about in future episodes. Um, but the the idea that I am somehow set apart from God and that God is not on my side. Yeah. That is not the God that I worship or the God that I have experienced in, in any way. And so the the idea that the suffering and the turmoil of my life will come from outside sources. Yeah. It will come from earthly kingdoms and to an extent from within myself. Of course, we're all in the shadows of it. We're all But it yeah. is the for if God is on our side, then who can stand against right. us? Right. And and in in that that's that's that Romans eight passage that you referenced. Basically, if God is for you, who can be against you? And what can separate you from the love of God? Like where we'll go again is that um, God saw His imagers totally lost in the power of sin, uh, much of it self inflicted, some yeah. inflicted upon them, and and when unmitigated grace and love. Um, came for his imagers and and suffered all, so much stuff so that his imagers could be set free from the power of sin. Thus, salvation means to rescue from, yeah, and it means to heal. Those are the two words in the Greek. So we have been yeah. rescued from the power of sin because of a different resurrection power at work in this world. And we can begin the healing journey that then takes us all the way through um, to when we finally are in that beautiful unfolding kingdom of light. And that's where we'll go in future episodes. Absolutely. Well, it's been fun. I, we, you know, if, if part of what we can do together, and unfortunately, we're probably going to have to invite other people into this podcast, like your brother, who's been doing a lot of work on this. And and I mean, I, you know, his AC, he's a lot smarter than either of us. Well, we won't know. tell him that his ACT score, I think, was like two. So I don't, I don't he buy. He did it. score higher than me on the <laughs> ACT, and that is something that he will hold over my head. He will. He'll rub that, that in. And and I know we have some Jewish scholars that will bring in other people that Absolutely. have taught with um, a number of different people to really start unpacking this. But fun episode. If if our two things. That, that I think we have said in these two foundational episodes is people are sick of church as business. They're sick of getting marketed to. They can see through the facades of all of it. Absolutely. Uh, and also people really would like to have a, a faithful community where they don't have to worry about the hypocrisy. If we can move forward within this this podcast yeah. in those ways, I'm looking forward to addressing all that out. Especially with the foundation that God is a God of love. Oh, can you imagine? I like that. I can't imagine doing the things that I have done in in my journey with God if I didn't fundamentally believe that God was a God of love. But you do understand, you're going to get a lot of pushback because people are going to interpret your... I don't really your care. <laughs> I know, I don't either. Um, not it, super fussed. I know, but, but people are going to misinterpret and say, but Anna, then like, that just means that God is this big sort of like great grandmother in the sky that just sort of like embraces all that we do. And Maybe that's not what you're saying. we've also fundamentally misunderstood what love is. Oh, uh, can you imagine? Of course we have. Wow. Wow. Maybe that'd be the next episode. Fun to hang with you. I can't ever wrap these things up. You, you have to be the wrapper upper. You're the host anyway. Once again, I'm Anna. This is Peter. Thank you for joining us on the Deeper Magic Podcast, and we will see you next time. Deeper Magic is produced by Audio on the Rocks, and our music for this episode is Auroras of Saturn by Music L Files. You can head on over to filmmusic.io and find that there, all licensed under Creative Commons 4.0, viewable on the site as well. 